Section 14 of Neighbourhood A Year's Life in and About an English Village by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 July Part 2 It was now Windlecombe's turn to take the field, and Tom Clemmer led out his team with a good heart, in spite of its tale of juveniles. Daniel Dray and the Reverend Mr. Weaverley were our first, indeed, our only bowlers. One of the first batsmen for Stavisham was Daniel's ancient foe, the grocer. And we watched the beginning of play with breathless interest, for we knew Daniel would aim to kill. He grubbed savagely in the sawdust, then sent the first ball hurtling down the pitch. The old men were still upon the benches outside, and in that quarter sympathy with Windlecombe was as staunch as ever. But in the scoring tent I sat amidst enemies now. The townsmen crowded behind me, a humorously sarcastic crew. Fifty to beat? my old aunt mary do you reckon we'll do it bill dunno tis serious for stavisham only eleven on us there be likely march wouldn't do it off his own bat no not half that there tinker coves are going to bowl fast there he goes what a the rest was drowned in a thunderclap of shouting there was a general stampede among the spectators, for the grocer had driven Daniel's first ball clean into the tent. It was a bad beginning for Windlecombe, and bad rapidly changed to worse. Young Daniel bowled steadily and coolly for the first over, in spite of continuous punishment, but thereafter he lost first his temper and then his head. The smiling grocer played him to all points of the compass, and the more the grocer smiled, the more wildly erratic Daniel's bowling grew. As for the Reverend Mr. Weaverley, he could do no more than send meek, ingenuous balls trundling diffidently up the pitch, and he was skied with heart-rending regularity. The batsman kept continually running. The little tent seemed to belly out on all sides with the cheering, as a sail with wind. Thirty up! Thirty for Northern! Thirty-one! And another! Thirty-two! Garn March! What a wise goose! Thirty-five! Hooray! The shout went off in my ear like a punt gun, and then there fell a sudden silence about me, as all strained eyes and ears out to the field. Some altercation was going on, but not between members of the opposing sides. Drop it, you old fool! I heard Tom Clemmer roar, and, peering over the crowd, I saw Captain Stallwood, ball in hand, walking up to the pitch. 
he rolled up his sleeves as he came drop it i tell ye cried tom once more tis cricket we be playin not marbles man gimme that ball stallard or i'll losh what be come to the old the rest was a confused wrangle amongst the whole team presently to our amazement we saw all drift back to their posts and old stallward take his place triumphantly at the bowling crease in the dead quiet that followed i heard the grocer chuckle richly as he got ready to smite the captain all over the field the old man stood stock still on the crease eyeing the batsman solemnly the ball held low down between his knees so long he remained in this posture that at length impatient exclamations began to break out on all sides well now ye ha gotten stallard lettin goo mate tain't in church ye be cap'n tis cricket ball up gaffer we wants to get home afore dark and from the grocer leaning with exaggerated weariness on his bat don't ye be in no sort of hurry old blue bottle but when ye're ready just send us a postcard will ye the captain's hand went slowly up the ball held curiously against his wrist he launched it with a sudden sidelong twist as it rose high into the air i could see that it went wide and off even from my position in the tent with a laugh the batsman strode out half a dozen yards to meet it a moment later he was gazing back aghast at his splayed wicket the captain's rich husky voice pealed out above the din there be a pound of butter for ee and now we were the frantic spectators of a drama that gained in thrilling interest with every moment the new batsman arrived at the wicket and again old stallwood sent the ball sailing down the pitch wide as ever but this time to leg i watched it more carefully now though it made a high curve it rose not a hair's breadth after touching the ground but shot straight in again we saw the glint of a falling bale behind the wicket the captain thrust both bare arms deep in his trouser flap and silently grinned the third man did little better he succeeded in blocking a couple of the balls but the next more crooked than any sent him dumbfounded back to the tent there was no more ribaldry about me now the fourth batsman sallied out amidst a rustle of whispered apprehension and hard-drawn breaths and returned almost immediately to the same tense atmosphere outside on the benches the old men were rocking on their seats with delight like trees in a wind bleak the cobbler was careering up and down beside himself with joy Fower in a hover he shouted 
i reckons i know summat about leather but i ne'er seed it do the like o that tain't ballin i tell ye tis magic and now young daniel dray was bowling again and bowling with renewed courage and skill all his old command of length and break had returned to him by the end of his over another wicket had fallen and the score had risen no higher than forty-three the captain took the ball once more this time without any opposition at once the fearsome whispering in the tent grew still almost we forgot to breathe as the great dark hairy fist came slowly up into the sunlight but the captain had changed his tactics instead of the leisurely high curving delivery with which he had done such execution hitherto the ball left his hand straight and low and as quick as light it pitched no more than an inch or two in front of the waiting bat then struck vertically upward a crack resounded through the field the batsman staggered clapped a hand to his head a moment more and he was picking an uneven course towards the tent thoroughly satiated with the captain's magic very slowly the next man set out for the pitch he stopped on the way to tighten a strap of his leg guard and again unconscionably long to adjust his batting glove once he turned back a tallowy face and seemed to be in two minds about something but at length he got to the wicket and grounded his bat the long arm uprose again and the ball sped it proved to be the last bold that day for once more that terrible upward break ended with a thud and a yell echoed from nine panic-stricken men about me the luckless batsman fled with as gory a visage as his companion had done and none would take his place though the grocer charmed and stormed never so wisely windlecombe had won by six later by an hour the victorious eleven gathered in the parlour of the three thatchers inn old stallwood grimly smiling in their midst tom clemmer shook his fist at him delight in his eyes but twan't cricket stallard he said reproachfully no returned the old man not cricket leastways not all on it that there sing chin summer or other red-hot ball i calls un that were a trick as i larned in chaney how fast time flies you can never truly estimate until you go step and step with it through the summer woods and fields in a sense town life where there is so much of permanence in environment puts a drag on time and not seldom pulls it up altogether moreover in towns time is estimated by events 
by experiences you hear a great musician see a great play look on at some magnificent pageant or are shocked by some catastrophe and straightway there is half a lifetime of emotion thrust between two strokes of the clock by so much in very truth your life has been lengthened for it is the intensity of living that counts in the civic tale of years if you find an old man not only declaring that he has lived long but believing it it is a great chance but he tells you so in the close-clipped cockney tongue of the town and yet it is better to live in some far-away country nook like windlecombe and be reminded with every gliding summer hour that time flies and life is short if only because of the undoubted fact that such a frame of mind carries a belief in eternal youth as a necessary implication between life's dawn and the dusk of its western sky there is literally no time to grow old in a natural aboriginal environment so inextricably interwoven are the threads of human existence and that of the green world round about that the annual rejuvenation of the one infallibly communicates itself to the other with every spring we start life afresh though we may live to threescore years and ten we are children still and come upon death at last like an unexpected gust at a corner old age unrealized to the very end in the weeks that are closing now i have heard and seen more of the galloping hoofs of this swift high-stepping jade summer than is good for entire peace of mind years ago i made a vow that i would never again eke out the fleeting golden days like a miser to whom spending is not pleasure but only pain i vowed that i would always squander time at this season let it drift by unthinkingly get my fill of sunshine and fill and fill again to my heart's content yet do it as a strayed heifer in the corn wantoning over an acre to each mouthful but this time as ever the good resolution has been forgotten the old parsimony has dogged the way at every step i must be up with the sun in the small hours of each morning fearful of losing a single beam from the millions to waste in sleep the blue spangled summer nights when all the countryside is resonant of life and fragrant with the scent that comes only with the darkness has seemed like sacrilege yet for all my industry july is nearing its end and i know that i have drunk but a drop or two out of its vast ocean and already i have renewed the old vow to be disregarded as ever doubtless when july again comes round on all the high-lying cornlands now harvest has begun 
and the fields in the valley are fast taking on that deep tinge of gypsy gold which is the sign of full maturity scarce had the shrill note of the mowing machine stilled in the meadows when the deeper voice of the reaper and binder began on the hill all day long i sat in this cool quiet nook of a study and the steady jarring sound came over to me from the hillside filling the little room i saw the machine with its pair of grey horses waiting at the field gate while the scythe men cut away for it into the amber wall of the grain steadily hour after hour it worked round the field until at last looking forth towards noon i saw that only a small triangular piece remained uncut in the middle of the field now there were a score or so of the farm folk waiting hard by each armed with a cudgel and with them seemingly every dog in the village as the machine went round every time making the patch of standing corn smaller i could see rabbits bolting in all directions from the diminishing cover and there uprose continually a hubbub of voices from dogs and men towards the end the stubble became alive with the little dark scurrying forms fleeing to the surrounding fields the most of them escaping harmlessly for want of pursuers but even then as i afterwards learned some eight or nine dozen were killed i have always kept away from these harvest battues as indeed from all scenes of sport and congregations of sportsmen i am willing enough to profit by these activities and receive and enjoy my full share of the furred and feathered spoil admittedly without one humanitarian qualm but this much confessed i would gladly welcome the day when everywhere save in the rabbit warrens the sound of the sporting gun should cease throughout this southern land rabbits must be kept down to the end of time but for the creatures that require preservation too great a price is paid and paid by the wrong class it is not the owner of game preserves who bears the main cost of his thunderous pleasuring it is the lover of wild life who sees the hawks and owls and small deer of the woodlands growing scarcer with every year and the children who in the springtime are cheated out of their right to wander through the primrose glades to many this may seem a wearisomely trite point of view affecting a grievance as old as the hills and even less likely of obliteration but though the point of view is ancient enough the grievance is no longer so of late years the ranks of village dwellers have been very largely reinforced from the classes who care little for sport and a great deal for all other allurements of the countryside rural england is no longer peopled by sportsmen and the dependence of sportsmen 
but slowly and surely a majority is creeping up in the villages composed of men and women both knowing and loving nature and to whom the old-time local policy of endurance under deprivation of rights for expediency's sake is an incomprehensible as well as an intolerable thing all the vast-winged beautiful marauders of the air that i love to watch are ruthlessly shot down by the gamekeepers on a suspicion presumptive and unproved but the fox that in a single night massacres every bird in the villagers hen-roost must go scatheless because poor profit may not be set before rich pastime one day almost the hottest so far i was out in the meadows and came upon a curious thing the path or rather green lane ran between high hedges on either hand there was a great field of flowering crops the one red clover the other sainfoin there must have been twenty or thirty acres of each stretching away under the tense still air and light much of a colour but the sainfoin of a softer purer pink both fields seemed alike attractive to the bees but while to the right the sainfoin gave out a mighty note of organ music the red clover on my left was utterly silent looking through a gap in the foliage i could not see there a single butterfly or bee the truth of course was that the nectar in the trumpet petals of the clover was too far down for the honey-bee to reach nor would even the bumblebees trouble about it with a whole province of sainfoin hard by overbrimming with choicer more attainable sweets as i wandered along between these great zones of sound and silence the air seemed to grow hotter and more oppressive with every moment there was something uncanny in the stillness of all around me the green sprays in the tops of the highest elms lay against the blue sky sharp and clear as though enamelled upon it not a bird sang in the woodland save for the deep throbbing melody from the sainfoin all the world lay dumb and stupefied under the noontide glare and then chancing to turn and look southward i saw the cause of it a storm was coming up close down on the horizon lay a bank of cloud like a solid billow of ink it was driving up at incredible speed though not a leaf or grass blade stirred around me the cloud seemed tossed and torn in a whirlwind's grip every moment it lifted higher towards the sun changing its shape incessantly black fold upon fold rolling together colliding giving place to others blacker still and flying in advance of all this borne by a still swifter air-current were long sombre streamers of cloud 
rent into every conceivable shape of torn and tattered rags and now as the dense cloud pack got up the brilliant light was blotted out at a stroke and this startling thing happened every bee apparently at work in the vast field of sainfoin spread her wings at the ominous signal and raced for home they swept over my head in numbers that literally darkened the sky again literally the sound of their going was like a continuous deep siren note striking point-blank in the ear for a minute at most it endured and then died away almost as suddenly as it came a bleak ghostly light piled on everything around me little cat's paws of wind flung through the torpid air afar the harsh voice of the oncoming tempest sounded slow hot gelts of water began to fall and every moment the inky pall of cloud lit up with an internal fire at first as i made off homeward in the track of the vanished bee army i tried to emulate their speed but the torrent came surging and crying up in my rear and in a dozen yards i was waterlogged thereafter going leisurely i came at last into the village and so to the house and here in spite of the deluge i must stop and look on at more wonders it seemed almost impossible for any bird to sustain itself on wings under such a cataract but there above me the martins were at their old incessant gambols circling and darting about hither and thither high and low in a whirling madcap crew and higher still right in the throat of the tempest i could make out the swifts hundreds strong weaving their old mazy pattern on the sky as though in the pearl and opal dusk of a summer's evening End of section fourteen